It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Hello, folks. We're back with another edition of American Loser. This one's going to be very interesting. You've heard of the concept of the walking wounded. The walking wounded specifically being in uh, that one iconic uh, image of the spirit of 76 with uh, guys marching in the American Revolution, uh, holding the American flag, playing the flute, playing the drums, but all wearing different versions of bandages and masks all over their face. Today's version of the walking wounded is uh, fresh out of dental surgery. Uh, <laughs> my delf of a dad, Lawrence Patrick. How are you? Oh, we're doing fine, Kev. You sure? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right, we're going to kill this today. Ming asked that you just, if you can bleed on the floor yeah, instead well, of the table. Try to catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> body fluids and stuff is not good, on, especially in a COVID situation. But Absolutely. No, uh, no sneeze. Yeah, sneeze guards are up, but right. blood guards, we got right. nothing for. Bloodborne pathogen kits Blood are on pathogens. Hey, guys, we have a new red uh, sound filter at a shared universe. <laughs> it's right, a right. brand new design. What pick up on aisle three. And speaking of the walking <laughs> wounded here. Uh, almost like he was a trucker who was late on uh, getting to a way station uh, and had to take a bunch of mysterious red pills uh, on hour 48 or something like that straight. The big kahuna behind the ones and twos, brother. What's How are going you? on, guys? How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, happy man. to see you this morning. We normally don't get you this early in the morning, so I'm happy, pal. That's no, uh, all good. I'm, gonna, I'm Oddly enough, even though I haven't really slept that well the, the, for, for a while, I'm just like... I still wake up mad early, so I'm just like, okay, I can I can start doing morning shows again. I can be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, man. So happy to have you in there in the studio. If you guys don't know, the show is called American Loser. It is a show that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. Firmly on we second place. We love to tell weird stories from American history. We've picked up quite a little bit of a fan base along the way, so we want to say thank you so much to all those people out there who do uh, listen on the regular. I want to go in a special, uh, especially big shout out to uh, the good people over at Patreon, our founding losers. We hit our number, Dad. That was a dream. To we hit did. That Absolutely. So that was originally wanted to hit 56, one for every signer of the uh, original signer of the Declaration of Independence. We have now surpassed that. Then we have a couple of people that are like, hey, I want to donate one time and then delete whatever. But you know what, guys? Make sure you get me your addresses if you're over on uh, the, the founding losers. We have merch coming, okay? I already had stickers made. I had some uh, um, we had, uh, some buttons made. There's something else on the way we won't reveal just yet. But uh, I think we're hearing more about that later today, you said, right, Dad? Uh, yeah, I already got the text uh, or the email, rather. But Hell yeah. We'll share so that later. That's going to be a thing. But we have to be able to mail those things to you guys. And I want to get that done before I uh, sojourn down to uh, Jacksonville, Florida. It used to be when I moved back up here to New Jersey after my time in Jacksonville with the military that I was moving back up to New Jersey to expand my comedy career. Now, because 2020 is so backwards, I'm moving down to Jacksonville because there's more opportunities to perform. <laughs> so... Thank you. Shut down. But we got uh, a lot of stuff going on here. So uh, do me a favor. If you guys want to jump on over on the Patreon, you do get access to all the back episodes, too. So if you're really a cheapskate, as our good buddy Andy Highroller pointed out, 
you can just donate the one time, listen to all the episodes, binge listen to them, and then not renew your subscription. <laughs> I ask that you help me out a little bit, man. Yeah, it, we can do a little better than that. Yeah, if you can, help me out a little bit. that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. Yeah, or, or give us a $20 donation or something like that, then listen to all the episodes and then delete it, whatever you want to do, man. We'll figure out a way to do a PayPal thing if people want to just make a straight donation. Are but, you guys able to fill up the tank yet for the truck to get here? We it's are. <gasps> we are. You it's, surpassed the goal. It, it's very exciting. Damn. And uh, in order to, we're going to so keep our proud. relationship with the studio too uh while i'm down in jacksonville because uh larry has to turn into south beach larry soon um you're going down to pompano uh sometime after new year's i'll be down before new year's in jacksonville so for two months we're gonna have to figure out ways to do remote shows which is going to be uh the sound quality is way way up kahuna works his ass off here ming is an evil genius we're mm-hmm. going to succeed the show will continue there will not be a break like there was this time last year when things really got grim so uh, we want to keep that bad boy rolling for you and the best way to help us do that guys we are like pbs but for alcoholics um <laughs> uh viewer donations is pretty much what keeps us alive here so i want to say thank you so much to those guys here and uh feel free to hit us up over on social media and uh real quick kahuna um you got uh, a project coming up. Did you want to plug anything? Because this, ap- this episode's coming out this coming Tuesday. Uh, yeah, I'm dropping a Christmas song. Uh, I'm actually yeah. dropping two. I wrote uh, like this kind of old-timey kind of thing uh, called I Saw Santa Claus, and I'm releasing uh, uh, next this Friday? Oh, cr- next Friday. Wow. I, my concept of time is fucked up right now. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> um, and then at, the week after that, I'm releasing another song called Tis the Season to Shine. Because I was going to do a whole album this year, but then my, my computer shit itself. And I, and I lost I that whole thing. So I was like, all right, let me pick up the pieces and just put something <laughs> out. Because I'm just like, because if I don't, I'm going to hate Christmas forever. I'm going to turn into the Grinch. I'm going to like turn green too. Ebenezer Kahuna. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But we do want to play because you're insanely talented, dude, man. And you uh, you play the the faithful sidekick on this show. But you are such a, a prolific artist in your own right, man. So I do want people to support your uh, your work on that one. So I appreciate that. We don't give your name away on the air, but you can if you pay attention to some of the Instagram posts and the Facebook posts. We you do, can find we, we do yeah, tag. It's, it's an open secret. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, also, great game on Sunday, man. You put a lot of pressure on uh, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. <laughs> but that being said guys i think we got all the announcements out of the way here i want to dive right into this topic dad we got a damn good one here today uh and i want to say thank you to you for fighting through this thing um you're a tough guy man but we're going to talk about some tougher people today yeah amen brother you know (laughs) i may have walked off an acl tear to get back to my hotel room in atlantic city you might be having uh you know parts of your jaw removed right now but uh, we're going to talk about some tough dudes today here so uh, today's episode, obviously, if you paid attention to the title, is uh, Operation Ivory Coast, uh, which I'm going to refer to as the perfectly executed mistake. So a uh, little heavy stuff up here. So it's it's tough to make jokes about this. You will find places where we can tell a good story and maybe crack a couple jokes uh, down the line here. But obviously, you see a flag sometimes. And this flag uh, doesn't matter what your political opinions are. It doesn't matter who's in office, who the president is, what the war was. There's one flag that if you ever disrespect this, I think you have some serious soul searching you have to do. Uh, And that flag is P-O-W-M-I-A. That's prisoner of war, missing in action. And underneath the flag, it says you are not forgotten. In fact, right across the street from our studio to Shared Universe Podcast Studio in Eatontown, New Jersey, where Mike and Ming take great care of us, there is uh, a couple of flags that are up there, an American flag, a couple of the military flags. Absolutely. And the P-O-W-M-I-A flag, super, super important. But... 
the idea of being a POW or going missing in action, it's one of the heaviest parts of military service. The idea that if you are indeed captured by the enemy, you could immediately be killed, right? We've covered enough massacres on this show that mm -hmm. surrendering is not exactly the safest option. Um, or you could be kept prisoner. And the thing with being captured is that you have no idea how long or painful your internment might be. It could be a dignified affair, like in many older wars, where the ranks of the prisoners were respected and men are treated relatively well as just kind of civil combatants. There's very weird stories, uh, like lots of accounts in World War I of prisoners being treated so well, German prisoners being treated so well by uh, their British captors um, that they start to realize how much they have in common. And it's almost like they, they there's also a little thing where they begin to wonder, why are we even fighting in the first place, man? We're, you know, oh, you're Christian. Too. You guys celebrate Christmas. That's crazy. You guys have a birthday cake. Oh, my God. That's nuts. Was, Your that's dad's funny. a farmer. Um, that's funny, though, that you mentioned Christmas. Isn't there like a really famous story that was like a, yes, like a Christmas yes. ceasefire? Yes. But I forgot who it was between, but I, I know that story. It that, would be uh, in Europe in World War One. World War One. That uh, they actually uh, there was a ceasefire and then they all started singing uh, Christmas Silent songs. Night. Wow. Yeah, back and forth. And and a lot of the higher ups were like, all right, beautiful moment. That shit's never happening again because now we're going to have a real hard time getting these boys to shoot at each other again. <laughs> so, but wild, wild story. Good point, Cahoons. Um, now, again, uh, that's that. That's World War One. That's European powers. That's uh, the military is like a dignified field to go into. Um, that's a war where you're you're fighting for the glory of your country. And there's a lot of other stuff. Now, this is a different kind of war we're going to be covering today. This is absolutely far from the case with America's war in Vietnam. Uh, Americans were being held prisoner, and despite anyone's feeling on the war itself, those boys, they got to come home. With the zeitgeist, none other than my Dilf of a dad, Lawrence Patrick, who, ladies, please stop DMing me about him. He's very happily married <laughs> to my mom, all right? <laughs> so... But give us the zeitgeist, which is interesting to come from you this week because you lived during this. Well, yeah, I was uh, within that uh, realm of uh, time period. Yeah. Um, well, the Vietnam War, how are we going to uh, compile, you know, in a, in a couple of minutes? But um, there's a war in Vietnam. The whole thing started really way back when with the uh, French um, taking over. Vietnam, parts of China, Laos. I mean, that was the French Indochina back in the 1880s, really. The height of imperialism and having right, a, you weren't a real power unless you had a colony kind of So thing. there's all kinds of European powers that are making inroads into uh, the uh, into Asia. Um, uh, we're going to fast forward that uh, a little bit. There's a guy named Ho Chi Minh that uh, is... Um, He's a nationalist for the uh, Vietnamese people. He is trained in, in uh, Russia, um, starts to turn uh, into communist-type thoughts. He's really looking just to get rid of all these uh, foreign powers out of, his, out of his native country. Some similarities to Cuba where it's like maybe the, we're not going to jump on to – maybe we're not willing participants in this new political ideology that's coming through, but it's different than the capitalists that are clearly taking advantage of the country. Right. So, I mean, the Vietnamese people were fighting the French. Um, then we, we fast forward into the 30s and into the 40s. Now we have the, the Japanese uh, taking over um, in Vietnam. Um, so the Vietnamese people are fighting the Japanese. Uh, uh, World War II ends. Um, then uh, there's different discussions, if you will, as to how how is this going to now the 
return back to the Vietnamese. The French are now making moves to come back into Vietnam again um, because the French were busy fighting the Germans uh, during the Second World War. Long and short, the uh, the Vietnamese people have been fighting foreign powers, you know, for a hundred years at this point. Um, starting with the French, then the, then the Japanese. Uh, there's a, a major battle of the Vietnamese against the French at Dien Bien Phu, where um, they were wiped out. The French decided that hey, we're out of here. Um, America starts to help out the French. Um, and really, it's the whole Cold War thing that uh, we can't let um, Vietnam fall to the communists um, because the uh, Vietnamese people are starting to get some backing from what is now communist China and, and uh, the Soviet Union. Um, so uh, Eisenhower is in office in, in the 50s, and he's the one that coins that whole phrase about the domino theory that we can't let Vietnam fall to the communists because if one country falls, then uh, there's Everyone a domino effect that everybody yep. surrounding is also going to go communist. So anyhow, we're embroiled into the whole Vietnam thing um, in support of the French. We get embroiled into that whole thing, trying to prevent the communists to uh, further expand into um you know, the markets, the, the various nations. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're rolling up into this thing. Um, and now it's just uh, the war just keeps escalating and escalating. By the 1960s, um, you know, Eisenhower is out. And in 1960 and in 61, um, very charismatic, handsome guy by the name of John F. Kennedy uh, becomes president of the United States. He's a World War II veteran himself. Uh, he's actually the first American president that was born in the in the 20th century. Um, so you know he everybody he's a young guy. He's a charismatic guy. He's a up and comer. There's a whole different attitude within the United States about hey this is our time. Um, this is really going to be our our golden age uh, uh, type of thing. Um, how does that end for him? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. It, it doesn't go well. I mean, uh, lose reception, uh, JFK in his first three months uh, in office gets embroiled with a little thing called the Bay of Pigs uh, down in Cuba. Again, we're still fighting the communists, but now we're a little closer to our own home shores. So this whole, um, you know, fighting communists and the... Uh, the uh, Iron Curtain and the uh, domino uh, theories and all, all these types of things, they're all coming into play. The, it's a geopolitical mess post-World yeah, War II. I, mean, I think that's fair to say. Worldwide now, too. And, and the Soviets by this time also have uh, nuclear weapons uh, to counteract the United States, who initially were the only ones that had nuclear weapons. So, I mean, it you know, things are definitely tense. Things are definitely tense. Um JFK is assassinated in in uh, 63. Um, Johnson comes in, Lyndon Johnson comes in as president. Uh, Lyndon Johnson tries to, um, he further escalates the war in Vietnam to stop the communists. Um, he also introduces the, uh, the great society idea that uh, kind of splinters the, uh, the Democratic Party, um, that he's trying to do things at home to um, uh, bring about change in the United States at on the home front. At the same time, we're fighting a, a, a war on the other side of the world. Um, 
the 60s are, are turbulent. Uh, there's no doubt. I Just mean, one point, too, is that JFK started our involvement in Vietnam with uh, in an advisory role, you know, and then uh, we slowly start escalating and escalating. And then LBJ is putting more people on the ground. And then obviously the president who's going to be the president during the, the event we're about to talk about. He's got some wild ideas about how involved we're going to get over there. Yeah, and, and a definite uh, communist hater, if you will. Um, but after after Kennedy is shot um, and and Johnson comes in, as you say, yeah, that there's a um, a huge escalation of the of the war that we're going to stop this at any cost. At the same time, Johnson is trying to make uh, some um, programs on the home front work out, uh, you know, it's where we see the introduction to Medicare, we see um, some uh, model cities program type of a thing. There's, um, there's political unrest um, with uh, the black community, with the gay community. I mean, uh, we just had a celebration of an anniversary of the, um, of the uh, Stonewall uh, riots that um, uh, and that was really 1969, but we're, we're, we're moving up with, there's a lot of unrest, um, whether it's, uh, Native Americans, whether it's, um, the black community, whether That's it's the gay community. That's how dumb I am, by the way, is that when I hear Stonewall riots and I find out it's about the gay community in New York, I was like, man, they really were supporting the Confederacy, that <laughs> diehard. <laughs> so uh, that was that the name of the bar. little <laughs> ignorance on my part that it's I had to do to some stay in the Confederacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There you go. Um, but, uh, you know, so we're, we're in turbulent times here. Um, there's uh, riots. Um, there's, there's just a whole lot of unrest. Um, then, um, you know, Johnson tries to push through the Civil Rights Act, um, uh, which is going to prohibit, uh, prohibit uh, discrimination in public places, uh, Voting Rights Act. So there's a lot of things on the home front that's really in turmoil. And there's a lot of things, of course, on the other side of the world in Southeast Asia with Vietnam, where that thing is still going. Um, then we had in Vietnam uh, something called the Tet Offensive. Which, 68. Huh? The Tet Effect, just for a timeline here, Tet Offensive is going on in 68. 68, We've yeah. covered now a, another little, he's not directly involved in today's story, but one of our legendary episodes about uh, Navy SEAL God, Demo Dick Marcinko, he was boots on the ground yeah, another, during Tet Offensive. Another loser reception. Oh, yeah, he was, he was dropping bodies over there. So. Um, we have some real winners of names on this podcast. Like, what an awesome name. And and <laughs> little foreshadowing, we got a hell of a name for later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got one that's coming up. But, uh, yeah, you know, through the early 60s, uh, we're fighting um, in Vietnam and we're thinking it's, well, it's really just communist insurgents and we're in the Viet Cong and that kind of stuff. And then the North Vietnamese Army starts coming across the, uh, the borders into South Vietnam because by this point, um, the country has been divided. There's North Vietnam and there's South Vietnam. And um, the North is the communists originally under under Ho Chi Minh, and then the South Vietnam was supposedly democratic. But um, you know, we saw like at least a dozen different regimes in a short period of time that it was like just a revolving door of uh, government that uh, was back and forth. So the South was not real strong politically. Um, but the Tet Offensive was a game changer because in that particular time, uh, 
they were able to launch like a hundred different um, attacks in South Vietnam in a hundred different places, all synchronized at the same time that it became crystal clear, very apparent that, hey, this is more than just a bunch of guerrillas out in the jungle that are uh, fighting for, you know, their communist uh, ways. Um, this is an org- a very well-organized uh, machine, if you will, that um, we're, we're up against it here. So there's a further escalation with that. But the American public starts to begin to realize uh, there's no real way out of this that, uh, you know, these people want to go <laughs> to the to the they want to go in the in the communist direction type of a thing and we're the only ones that are really stopping it johnson is so um upset by this that he refuses to run for president again uh again he had that another lose reception where you know if a, if uh, nominated i will not uh, oh, uh, the I, william tecumseh yeah, sherman quote <laughs> I, I, if nominated i will not uh, run and if uh, elected i will not serve type of a thing so he's out so enter the next uh, P- picture by the way as soon as lbj makes that announcement that it is you know go ahead and say the name Richard Milhouse Nixon. Who, so, but just picture him sliding in like in risky business with just the, the go dun 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. So he lost the election to he was uh, just a, a little background on Nixon for a second. Eisenhower's vice president, right, right, uh, ran for the office and lost to JFK, right, and then now JFK is no longer in the picture. LBJ says he's gonna, he's going to be uh, not you know seeking uh, another term here, right. So now Nixon's just like, oh, I guess I got another shot at this. Thing. Right, right. So I like that old time rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> enter, enter a tricky dick in there. And he runs on the whole thing that, uh, you know, he's going to get us out of Vietnam. He's going to downscale this and we're pulling out. it. And, and again, you have to realize this is at the same time period that there's uh, st- um, student unrest. There's riots. Um, they, Any particular riots, Larry? Yeah, well, they, they shot. Um, you know, five students in uh, Kent State are, are shot by the National Guard. The National Guard was called in to put down this um, uh, protest, and five students are killed. Short, three days later, there's a, uh, another loser reception that we've already covered, which was the hard hat riots in New York City, um, where there's this, the silent majority. That's a, t- a term that Nixon uh, Nixon coined that. You know, although there's a lot of protests and there's a lot of unrest going on and it's very vocal and it's in the in the media, um, Nixon is trying to convince people, yeah, but the vast majority of people are just the silent majority. They're not saying anything negative against their, their government or against their country. And they think it's where we're doing the right thing by trying to beat back the communists at, at any cost in, uh, in Vietnam. So, um, you know, you talk about polarized types of things that, um, you know, the, the one of us, one half of the country wants they get out of Vietnam, the other half is saying stay the course. The Tet Offensive is a, a clear indicator that um, this is not going to be a winnable thing. Nixon runs on the promise that he's going to remove the troops from Vietnam, that we're going to scale back and we're going to get out of there. Um, and... Uh, it's 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 definitely turbulent times, and um, with all of that, I mean, he's making promises to the in public promises, and at the same time, now we're finding out that um, Nixon had ordered 
um, a, a policy where they're now going to invade into Cambodia. And I mean, that that just created a huge part of the reason because, being because they were also the uh, the NVA was also operating up in Cambodia. So it was a, a territory there. It wasn't like lines on a map where it's New York, New Jersey. And, uh, you know, that's there for it. So it, it, it's you're trying to fight with some sense of restraint, a war that has no restraint. So it's extremely difficult here. Yeah. One um, side is trying to fight the war with their hand tied behind the back, which would be the United States, that they're going to respect borders and that type of thing. Meanwhile, um, the North Vietnamese, the communists are supplying their troops in South Vietnam by going through Cambodia on something that was called the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which was a major supply line. So Yeah, worst marathon I ever ran, let me tell you. <laughs> uh. So Nixon Nixon um, decides that he's secretly going to go into Cambodia and try to cut off their supply line. So he's he's on one side of his mouth he's saying one thing and then on the other side of the mouth he's ordering, you know, for us to go to ex- broaden the whole thing by going into Cambodia. Sounds like he's a politician, Dad. Yeah, it's not like, well, <laughs> when, when have you ever known a politician to tell a lie? I mean, come on. <laughs> they lie? Um, well, there's one important thing here, too, because, I mean, obviously there's a lot going on. Nixon kind of needs a PR win for uh, uh, what's going on with the war at this time. And there's definitely a lot of crazy things going on over here. But... Uh, Again, one of those things where you got, uh, uh, you know, John Kerry is uh, a, a war hero uh, on paper, who's then throwing his medals away at a peace rally. Uh, John McCain is actually a prisoner of war that's being kept in a, a certain very spe- – now, here's the thing that can galvanize everybody. American boys uh, are being held overseas, right? Our, the, the guys who got either uh, – were already in the military and got sent in to serve, a lot of pilots that got shot down – and a lot of poor guys that got, you know, brought into the military, maybe because they had no other options, right? This was not um, a, a groundswell volunteer force. This was a draft army, right? Uh, now, they're being kept in some a very pretty, unpopular draft. Army. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, super unpopular draft. And it's to the point now, too, where public opinion is very mixed on the war. You've told me some personal stories that uh, you, know, you hear a lot of people try to deny and stuff like that. But. Uh, I do want to get into the the meat and bones of the story here. Mm -hmm. Now I have to ask you about one specific thing. We're talking about uh, POW, again, standing for prisoner of war. As of 1970, there are at least 450 confirmed prisoners of war being held by the NVA. NVA being? NVA being the North Vietnamese Army. There you go. Right. Um, it's uh, by the way, when you watch Operation Dumbo Drop, you keep thinking they're talking about Michael Jordan and the boys. <laughs> we got <laughs> yeah. the NBA's on its way in here. Oh shit, Barkley's coming. Um, yeah. MIA meaning missing in action. Those numbers are said to have nearly doubled that. So if you got 450 confirmed, that means you could have close to about a thousand guys that you have no clue what's going on with them because the NVA is not exactly great about coming to the table politically. Uh, to announce, uh, hey, here's the people that we have captured, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, that's that was a major thing that um, although we're trying to find, fight a, uh, a normal war, if you will, like a, a World War II war. A civilized the, war. Right, with a... like we know who the good guys are. We know who the bad guys are. In Vietnam, you had no clue because that same guy that you're meeting in the street during the daytime could very well be a uh, communist sympathizer at night and come up and slit your throat kind of a thing. So it's uh, it's it's difficult. And the North Vietnam uh, is not letting America know 
who exactly do they have in their in, in their prisons? So we have no clue. That was like a, a bargaining chip that they were using. They're playing a, a hard line here that they're not playing by the rules, if you will. Um, although they did sign, um, they did sign Geneva Convention rules of war. Um, they're not paying any attention to that. Yeah, so. that's the sickest part when a room full of lawyers decides how to have a proper war. Right. Um, the oxymoron of a civilized war being that uh, akin to a jumbo shrimp. Rules, <laughs> of, rules of engagement, right? Now, I want to set you up for success here, Lawrence Patrick. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a infamous prison. Um, that again, a uh, former uh, uh, an American hero. I'm going to call him. I always, I never had a problem with him. I admired the guy. I found a lot of consistency to him. Uh, John McCain is uh, he gets shot down. Now, there's also a little side story with him where because his father was a higher up in the military, that they were going to exchange uh, a prisoner exchange would have gone down for him. But when he realized they weren't going to let the other guys out, it was going to be just him. McCain actually turned it down and stayed in captivity over right. there. So if you want to, you know, really, yeah. Next yeah. time, next time they want to contrast him unfavorably against any other uh, uh, presidents, you just kind of have to remind yourself that uh, in the moments of uh, truth, uh, integrity will kind of prevail on that kind of a thing. Right now, he's staying in a very infamous camp, Dad, known as the Hanoi Hilton. I believe that might be a sarcastic term. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely it. Wasn't the Ritz? Although, uh, from what I've been reading lately, the uh, the current uh, Vietnamese government would like to portray that as it really wasn't all that bad. But uh, Hanoi uh, prison. Kind of like would, the Turks saying like, hey, there's no genocide in Armenia. What are you talking about? It never right, happened. Right. It was a, a war. It was just the war was going on. We had no control. But anyhow, um, this prison is uh, an infamous prison that was actually built by the French back in uh, the French colony days. And the French... Um, um, would throw their various political prisoners in there. It was um, in in English. It would be called the Central House, uh, Maison Centrale, uh, which Ooh. was still design, designation of the location in the in Hanoi, in Hanoi, North Vietnam. Now, the communist North Vietnam in their French Quarter, or what was the French Quarter? It was intended to hold Vietnamese prisoners, especially uh, political prisoners. Uh, those who were agitating for independence. And it was a, a torture chamber. I mean, people were executed. People were tortured by the French, um, primarily Vietnamese prisoners. Um, I do want to give a, a, just a two-second uh, diversion here. Um, I am so impressed with you right now that the listeners at home, for him to hit with the correct inflections, tones, Ooh. accent, pronunciation <laughs> of a French term for a shop teacher from Bergen County, New Jersey. <laughs> Lawrence Patrick, I'm impressed. Oh, if I could go. add canned laughter to this, That's or canned <laughs> applause, I would. I would totally do All it. Right. You got it. Uh, keep breaking this down here. So um, this particular prison, um, they, uh, the French expand it. Um, and it goes from a capacity of like 460 to 600. But um, by any given day, um, well, really by 1954, and again, 54 was a famous date because that's when there was a major battle of the Vietnamese against the, their French uh, colonialists. And this um, is the same camp that McCain was still in was, at the time? Yeah, this was would later be housing um, American prisoners of war. Wow. Um, but by 54, now there's like 2,000 people in this, in this, uh, in this prison uh, in subhuman conditions. Um, and it just, it just heaped tremendous amount of bitterness 
of the Vietnamese people against their uh, French colonialists. Um, following the defeat at, in Dem Pim Phu, um, uh, there's a Geneva Accord, and uh, the North Vietnam became known as the Democratic Republic of Vietnam, but it was the Communist Democratic Republic of Vietnam. It was like Hydra, just kind of like sneakily there in the shadows. Right, like, right, right. We th- you, you think you're free, but hell, Hydra. Now, during the Vietnam War, which quickly followed, because again, now, 54, that was Eisenhower, followed by um, Kennedy, who further escalated, followed by Johnson, who com- really escalated things. And now we've got um, uh, Dick Nixon in in office. But um, during the Vietnam War, actually the first prisoner to be sent to this prison, which the American prisoners were the ones that nicknamed it the Hanoi Hanoi Hilton. Um, And it was absolutely brutal to be in there. Um, You were tortured. You were uh, beaten daily. uh, You were put in... in, um, solitary confinement which was probably um that's worse than that's like the really bad and at this and early on in the war with the with the united states um the vietnamese had a number of these different prisons but the hanoi hilton was the most famous um the first prisoner that was sent there was actually in in 64 1964 and they didn't get out of there until 73 so i mean you're talking a long uh, – some of these guys were in captivity for long periods of time. It wasn't like World War II where you might have been a POW for four years at worst. Um, these guys were suffering. And they were tortured. They were beaten, um, malnourished, uh, um, no medical treatment. Well, starvation was also used as a weapon because uh, conditions were starting to get um, back stateside. And that's where the popular opinion was. Well, what we got to do something. These are our, these are our neighbors. These are our sons. These are our brothers. These are our nephews. Our cousins. Our schoolmates. These are the people that are stuck over here and are now suffering. Right. So something's got to be done over here. That's where the whole MIA flag really got its uh, genesis. Was uh, right in this uh, this time period that people were definitely concerned. First off, you didn't know who was. Who was just missing in action? Who was dead? Who was missing in action? Or who was a, a POW? You had no 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 idea because the North Vietnamese were not giving away that that information. Um, so severe torture methods were done um, with rope, with bindings. Um, McCain, when he was shot down, now McCain was a pilot. He's shot down. Uh, he lands in the lake. Now he lands right near the Hanoi Hilton, right, right near that prison camp, uh, lands in a lake. The locals are taking him out of the out of the water and beating the shit out of him. He had- I think um, it's safe to say he doesn't interact with Paris Hilton. No, he does <laughs> not. It's, there's just no interaction no, there. It, you're safer at the prison. Um, Check this out. I pulled this photo up off the Wikipedia page. This is John McCain's flight suit and parachute. Yeah, John McCain came out later to say there's no friggin' way because they cut that off of him as soon as he landed. Really? Yeah, so that that's all propaganda bullshit that's now in the Hanoi uh, Prison Museum, if you will. It's a museum now? Yeah, the, the, and actually the main part of the prison has now turned into a luxury hotel and is a small... Are you serious? <laughs> is a small little, is a small little uh, um, museum, if you will, that uh, kind of whitewashes the whole thing. In keeping with um, the starvation tactics, though, uh, no continental breakfast. 
No, <laughs> not even not even continental, not even hot waffles uh, <laughs> in the morning. Yeah, the waffle maker is um, for your hand. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different clips that um, uh, John McCain, when he would wave to you. I mean, afterwards, after he, after the war is over and he comes home and he becomes a United States senator, there's film clips of him waving that he's always. His arm is not like above his shoulder because he couldn't raise his arm above his shoulder from the uh, torture that he underwent while uh, in captivity. Initially, um, they were just kind of beating the crap out of him. And then they realized that, hey, wait a minute, this guy is the son of Admiral McCain, uh, a hierarchy in the uh, in the United States Navy. So they thought they were going to use him as a bargaining chip or a propaganda um, ploy. And Kevin, you're exactly right that when, uh, you know, they offered to free him um, with the idea that they were going to use him as a propaganda thing. They said, well, you see, uh, the Americans, they take care of the the rich people's uh, sons, but they're not taking care Mm -hmm. of the grunts on the ground. And that's where uh, McCain, John McCain, um, said, no, he's not going to, uh, he's not going to offer up accept that offer of uh, his freedom simply because of his father's uh, admiralty uh, rank. Um, but anyhow, yeah, that was we a, hit a the real, mission here in a second. Too. Yeah, that, that's a real bad place. And, and finally, um, United States intelligence gets word that not at the Hanoi Hilton, which was probably the most infamous uh, of all the POW camps, but a smaller camp about mm, 23 miles outside of Hanoi. Hanoi is the capital of North Vietnam. Um, Just so you're 23 miles outside of the capital, there's a smaller um, uh, prisoner of war camp, but it's pretty much isolated. So um, it sparks the attention of, uh, of, uh, of intelligence back home in the United States here that Maybe somehow or other we can figure out a way of getting in there and getting some of those guys out of there. And this wouldn't be the first time that we've had a, uh, a rescue mission um, to a prisoner of war camp. So it's worked in the past. Maybe we can maybe we can pull this off. And uh, uh, Son Tai as the prisoner Son of war Tai. Camp. Son Tai. I tried to tell you, pronounce it like Thai food. That's Thai what it food. Was. All right. We got to be careful too, because again, we don't want to get another one of those. Uh, we got a three-star review with a written complaint, just saying disappointed over on our iTunes. I demo, saw that. that was, I called BS. Episode. Well, it was funny because the guy just wrote. He goes, "These guys talk about military history for thirty minutes, then two minutes about the first tour in Vietnam." Had to turn it off because I realized I wasn't going to hear anything insightful. Hey, you cheap fuck, go buy a book about demo dick. Right? <laughs> I got to fill an hour here and talk about the guy's entire life. I'm very sorry that I skipped over that one part here. So. You know, maybe a shop teacher and a shitty fucking plumber shouldn't be the guys giving you your education. <laughs> Go buy a book, you cheap fuck. <laughs> Go to the library. Yeah. I hope you're listening to this show. We will win you back. Keep listening. All right. We got some good stuff going. Because even though we're mad at you, we love you. That's <laughs> exactly. LP, do you have anything else you want to say? Because I want no, to just we I mean, got to introduce the mission, baby. That's that's set up that, that we we've now know of this one camp and, um, you know, it goes before the hierarchy um, of the military and said, yeah, maybe we ought to try to develop a plan that we can go in here and rescue some of these guys. Well, I, I'm excited about this one. And uh, by the way, this this particular missing in action rescue mission does not involve Chuck Norris. 
um, as uh, the 80s movies uh, would have. We got somebody better than that. A a little bit better than Chuck Norris. I'm going to agree with you on that one here. So uh, we're about to dive into the the raids here. but Should I cue up the the military drum march music? (laughs) I got you, man. Well, it's interesting, man. And I do want to say real quickly, too, we, we joked about that guy leaving a bad review. But if you guys like the show, leave us a written review that's positive, man, because we'll we won't call you out all the time. It's yeah, just this no. one was stupid. Yeah, I, it, it was an interesting one here. So the other guy who said we were all uh, all over the place topic wise, I was like, yeah, he's actually yeah, right. He's right. <laughs> but in a good way, I would say. I think so, too. And, yeah. uh, and that's why. Uh, so we've set the zeitgeist. Lawrence Patrick Burke has given us the zeitgeist here. And uh, unfortunately, at the 39 minute mark, we're about to dive hey, into yeah, the all 39 minutes. Yeah. What it mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing, man. But that is why we have now set up the zeitgeist here. Everything's good to go, which is why on the 21st of November, 1970, the United States would launch a daring mission slash raid to rescue some of the boys in one of those camps. It was going to take a joint effort by multiple branches, some balls of steel, some of the very best special warfare operators that the military ever had to have. This the, is essentially as close to G.I. Joe as we're ever going to get. But I was going to say the music was scored by Isaac Hayes. It's going <laughs> to be that great. <laughs> I'm just talking about the Sante Raiders, baby. So um, no mission works without good intel, however. And you can't liberate guys you can't find, Dad. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, it's really hard to play uh, Marco Polo with, uh, <laughs> with guys you're trying to rescue. Enter the United States Air Force, who we tease. I'm a Navy veteran, as everybody always knows on the show. I like to play that up because hopefully History Channel will pick up this goddamn show. Um, <laughs> Call us. We like to uh, – well, they have something of ours on their desk. Um, the uh, We like to nickname them the Chair Force, but uh, they're not. They're heavily involved in this mission. They do some badass stuff here. May of 1970, a surveillance plane, model uh, SR-71. That's right, that band that everybody knows, SR-71. Yeah, that's that's them. Right now is the song by SR-71, if you wanted to uh, listen to that at home here, guys. But yeah, they're not just... Uh, it wasn't a clever name. It was the name of a surveillance plane. And... Uh, This plane is flying overhead uh, over an area near Hanoi that is suspected of being a POW camp. We've had suspicions of this being a camp since 1968. Dad, when was the Tet Offensive? Uh, 68. Yep. So we've been (laughs) thinking about this for a while here. The plane is able to safely photograph the camp from an altitude of 80,000 feet. Okay, which is super important because anti-aircraft guns and some of the SAM missiles, things that are going to come into play later, are not exactly able to you know, detect this plane. Uh, radar might not even be able to detect the plane at this height. So this is American technology at its very best. This is the Air Force doing a, a hell of a job bringing this in here. So uh, analysis of the photos concluded that there are at least 55 POWs in this camp with at least six that are in need of immediate assistance. The Pentagon would spring into action. Unfortunately, government rolls things out very slowly, okay, as we're going to find out. But this becomes uh, almost a good thing in certain ways. And certainly uh, the, the egg on the face at the very end is also because of the, the, the slow to um, respond action here. But task force are going to get put into play. They're going to start studying the territory. They're, they need to know in order to have this action, the American military knows that they have the correct location of a camp near Santai, okay, outside of, uh, outside of uh, Hanoi. The only kicker, all right, because we do have this isolated thing, like you said, Dad, but here's the kicker. The compound is pretty well guarded, all right, uh, and was uh, near thick air defenses of uh, Hanoi, right, because you're going to guard your capital That's against right. them. If- We've been bombing Hanoi, so you've got a lot of uh, NA yeah. aircraft and, and SAM missile uh, sites surrounding The Hanoi. U.S. runs the sea. The U.S. owns the air, right? There are some Vietnamese fighter planes, but very, very few and far between. 
Um, definitely not on the scale that the United States has, but so your anti-aircraft guns are going to be important because you need Jane Fonda to be able to pose with them before she puts oh, out God. her jazzercise stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. Young Jane Fonda, I would I would hear her out. <laughs> but um, anyway, but that's the kicker. Now, not only that, you have the anti-aircraft guns. You're right near the capital over in Vietnam. Just five miles away is a group of 12,000 well-armed North Vietnamese troops. The scale of this raid is going to have to be, to borrow a term from Kennedy, surgical. Kennedy was a genius because Kennedy understood the value. And this is why the special warfare community still honors him to this day. Sometimes you need a scalpel and not a sledgehammer, right? So that's what's going to happen over here. The scale of the raid needs to be surgical in order to avoid a massive conflict in such an NVA stronghold. And uh, this is where they're going to form a study group, Kahuna, you know? Like a study group, when you get together with your friends after class and you work on, we're going to make sure we all pass this test together. Except this particular test is in order to devise the plan to get these prisoners of war out of this camp and home without getting the people going in killed as well. It's just like high school. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just, uh, just like high school, man. It really is. The study group concludes, though, that there is a way to pull this off. And they also identify, upon further review of the surveillance photos from the Air Force, we are now estimating that we can rescue 61 prisoners of war. So if this raid is going to work, we're going to need someone to lead the boots on the ground in an effective manner. Enter. This guy, the hairs are raising on my arm here. Before right. you reveal this name, I do have a question though. So when, it, when, when planning these type of operations, like the thought goes into it, because how many prisoners of war were there? And the versus how many they rescued. They weren't sure exactly how many were there, but there was estimates between uh, 55 to 70. Somewhere, okay. somewhere in that range is what this camp is now holding. So it was just like as many as we possibly can kind right. of a, a deal? We have a confirmed concentration of these guys that we know we can get into. This is... This is real intel. Everything else is speculative. Yeah, and all this so that's a good question, though. All this intel that's going on, too, it's... Uh, it's it's kind of like uh, we, we have to figure these things out, but we can't be telling a whole lot of people what it is we're trying to figure out. So No, of course. My only issue is I was just questioning. It was like, what if doesn't that put the safety of the people outside the ma major majority in, in jeopardy as well? Because they're rescuing just this one core group that's that's prisoned. You, know, that's you know what an, I mean? Yeah. Now, that's an interesting theory here, because as we, we cover the raid towards the, the aftermath of the raid, we kind of answer that question. So I'm, I'm going to put a pin in that just for right now because you raise a very good point. If we are now rescuing these guys, is that going to endanger the other prisoners or is that going to embolden uh, you know, the, the military to think we can start making more raids? Yeah. So the problem is you got to have the, uh, the first mission be a success before you can figure out what to do over here. So now you need a guy who knows what the hell he's doing. Enter goddamn American hero, Kerner, uh, I'm sorry, Colonel. Arthur Bull Simons, known, yeah. known as Bull Simons. All right. Does he have a handlebar mustache that's actually dope? If I, <laughs> like it sounds like that. Pull up a picture of him if you can, uh, and anyone who can see a photo of him, and I will include it on the Instagram. This man looks like he was carved from granite. Okay. Now, interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Bull Simons is what you want to search for. Bull Simons. It'll pop right up. Yeah, he's um, a cigar chewing. Uh, Oh damn! Pistol pack and uh, that is literally what anyone will picture when you like when you think of the military. 
That's what you see. Yeah. Wow. The reason he never made general, by the way, they said was because he was so um, uh, just pretty much by the numbers that it was, well, let's do what's best for the boys on the ground. There was no politics to him. This is a fucking soldier. All right. Now, his uh, he first of all, a couple little things here. Simon's uh, comes from a Jewish background, too. OK, so uh, he's got um, it's definitely he's a, then he winds up living out in Missouri for a little while. But he's born in New York City. Bull was the nickname that he got because in the bull pit where they used to, you know, it was kind of a training exercise to kind of wrestle and see who'd be the last man standing. And the bull could handle himself. All right. That's it was very, very easy to figure that out. So anyway, um, interesting little side note here. Bull Simons. He's also a World War II hero, a decorated Silver Star recipient. He had participated in the raid that helped free survivors of the Bataan Death March. And had already, like I said, honored with the Silver Star. He saw action in the Pacific in World War II. So just for the time frame here then, guys. But wait, if this mission is taking place in 1970, Dad, and it's being led by Bull Simons, who right. fought in World War II, what age does that put him at? He's uh, somewhere around 52 or so. He is 52 years old when he's going to be. And by the way, at age 52, Bull Simons is still doing 250 push-ups a day and having people scared shitless of the idea of having to fight him. All right. <laughs> the men love him. His, By the way, I swear to God, this is a thing. He showed up as an officer. He was oh, a lieutenant. Oh, I've got a great casting couch. That's who I want you to cast on oh, this one. Oh, I got Perfect. a great casting Perfect. couch. So here's the best part is that uh, what he does is that uh, in, in World War II, his sergeants actually thought that he was a mute. They thought he couldn't speak because he never spoke because he wanted to learn from the sergeants. So that's a special kind of officer when you get there and you say, well, I understand what as an officer I'm supposed to be doing because I'm, I'm, you know, uh, a commissioned officer here and I'm in charge, but I want to learn from the enlisted guys because they know the boots on the ground stuff. So it's like you show up and your dad owns the construction company. So do you want to just sit there and be the supervisor or do you want to go mix it up with the guys who are telling you like, hey, here's how you do some framing work. Here's how you do this. They say he did not talk much. He was a mission oriented guy. And at age 52, he must be slowing down, right? Nope. He is still considered a total badass by his men and has the absolute respect of his own superiors. The bull is so respected by the brass, in fact, that he was allowed to have his choice of men for this mission. He selected his crew of raiders from a group of over 500 volunteers, all from Special Forces unit out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. You know, the Green Berets. Right. So Green Berets, they're not getting told a whole lot about the mission. They're being kept in the dark mostly. But there's the idea, the appeal that, oh, by the way, you're going to be serving under Bull Simons. And these yeah. guys are like, let's fucking do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If Bull's involved, I want to be involved too. And uh this yeah. dude is actual all, Nick Fury. All they were really doing is just putting up flyers uh, around um, Fort Bragg, saying that you know there's a mission that's going to be led by uh, by the bull, and um, it's a moderately uh, dangerous uh, mission. So there was no, hey, we're going to go in and rescue uh, prisoners of war. There was none of that. It was they weren't tipping their hat as to what the mission was going to entail, just saying it was going to be moderately uh, dangerous. Uh, it was going to be a training mission. And you'll probably be home by Christmas, but there's no, um, no extra additional pay, pay, no additional pay. And for, you have to volunteer. And you have to volunteer for this. And the key um, you said too, Dad, was that, because uh, I mentioned this to you when I deployed overseas, that one of the things they do is they make you stop at legal and fill out a will, but that's when you're going overseas so that if something happens to you, you have uh, your legal affairs here. Now, they had to fill out their wills when for these guys? Uh, before they even signed up for the for the training. Yeah, that's when you know some shit's going to get in. Hey, Bull Simons, the biggest badass we got, is involved. 
Um, we can't tell you a whole lot about it, and you have to sign away. It's volunteer, no extra money. Home by Christmas, that's nice, right? Um, can't tell you, can't tell anybody what, what you're doing, though. I mean, it was in, in complete secrecy. And, uh, you know, because of the respect that everybody had for Bull Simons, that uh, he had over 500 volunteers in in the home of the Green Beret, I mean, Fort Bragg. Yeah. Um, that's their home base that uh, he had 500 volunteers to select from. And they then started to uh, whittle that down through um, interviews and that type of a thing. That um, And Bull was involved directly with uh, some of those interviews to find out exactly who, what you're made of and what your attitude is. I want to ask uh, one, of, one of these days a friend of the show, a uh, friend of mine too, actually, and a, a fellow comic as well, James Mack, Army veteran. I'd be curious uh, how much Bull Simons gets remembered um in modern army history because he definitely i believe he had spent some time over at fort bragg i think so um the first phase of the mission had been called polar circle that was where they were collecting all the intel doing the study groups trying to build maps of what the camp would look like which comes into play right but that mission that phase of the mission is complete the second phase is known as operation ivory coast that's about to get underway the training ground chosen was eglin air force base in florida as one of the larger bases in the country, and also Florida weather having heat similar to what the jungles in Vietnam might provide. So you don't want to go train for the jungle warfare over in Kansas. You know, that doesn't right. make a whole lot of sense. Right. So let's get a little humidity. Let's get some cr- you know, uh, crotch rot going on. Um, the, uh, the base also, one of the largest bases um, stateside in the United States, which is great because that means that there's little patches of earth that um, – Dad, you and I have walked around Fort AP Hill a couple of times down in Virginia. Right. There's some spots to go get lost around there right. if you wanted nobody to be paying attention to you. Eglin Air Force Base, um, also perfect because now this absolute secret mission can be trained uh, in privacy and these boys can have uh, a sense of isolation from anybody else. So it's not almost like you don't really know what's going on over there. Yeah. So, I mean, once uh, once uh, Bull has these 500 volunteers, it's going to be fur- further whittled down to like 100 and some that are going to be involved in this training phase. Um, they're going off to a you know secret location on base. They start to set up uh, mock um, uh, mock village, not village, but a compound uh, that they're actually going to be flying into. But none of these guys really know what exactly is going to happen with this with this mission. They haven't been told yet that, hey, we're going to go in and rescue some POWs, but they are getting a sense of what this is going to be all about as they're going through this various training. And the training was, was something extra special too. Well, and you not only had Florida, but you also had going into Georgia and the surrounding states flying these various missions because, again, this has to be dovetailed. These are Army Rangers, Green Berets for the most part, um, that has to dovetail now with the uh, with the Air Force as well, because they're going to have to be flown into um, this POW camp. Now, the Marines were apparently pissed off that they weren't allowed to be a part of the operation. That's a true story because you know, everybody knows the Marines want to fight. But unfortunately, a lot of reading was required for this mission, so we couldn't <laughs> use them. I'm just teasing all my Marine buddies out there. Know that, uh, well, know you just deal. put the hackles up. No, I'm teasing, man. Um, but uh, no. no, but what was interesting too, I got to throw this in there too. This whole thing was being overseen by the Joint Chiefs of Staff, so there's nobody higher than the Joint Chiefs of Staff exactly. that are that are running this deal. So this is directly in their control. And um, one of the things that I had found uh, in the research of this is that uh, 
the Marines were a little too much uh, closed shop that they they wanted this. They needed this overlap kind of a thing, and um, there was afraid there was going to be uh, uh, partisanship within the within the various military branches. That if uh, they involved uh, they involved too many others. Super important factor you're saying too here. Now another thing is that in the selection, because the Air Force is going to work in conjunction with the Army for this operation, uh, and in many aspects there's crew selection. So the same way that Bull Simons is getting to pick his boys for the raiding party, um, you're now handpicking pilots. Who are then handpicking their crews, uh, and it's an interesting thing because ranks are not necessarily going to be a deciding factor. Rank kind of gets thrown by the wayside. Hey, this is my mission. I'm running it, but I want this guy because he's great here. Experience is going to be key, especially if you fought in Southeast Asia at this point. Um, there was this was not a chance for you to show up and try to make a career for yourself. This wasn't because uh, again, that's the thing. That's why uh, Bull Simons never rises above the rank of colonel because in order to get to generalship, there's a lot of politicking and bullshitting and ass kissing that has to go on. You got to eat a lot. Like, nah. Well, Bull <laughs> Simons was just like, well, that's not that doesn't interest me. This is what I want to do right yeah, here. Who's going to be able to complete the mission? That's, exactly. That was the uh, the key. We got to get the boys out of the jungle. That's the bottom line here. So this number- man has no right being on this podcast. I'm sorry. Uh, well, again, we're, we're throwing them a, a – there's a huge curveball at the very end of this that's going to make some sense for you. Um, there will be 103 special operators from the Army that get selected for this mission. There will be 116 members of the Air Force that will provide air support, the ride itself, the extract itself, which is the most crucial part of the mission, and also the cover for the boys on the ground. This is no football game. This is one team, one fight. And the 219 members of this raid would operate under the name JCTG, a.k.a. Joint Contingency Task Group. So some pretty cool hardware getting involved here, by the way. Like you're going to have helicopters that are going to have to move the troops in. The helicopters are also going to be armed so that they can provide uh, ground support and fire like that. Also, you're going to bring some planes in, some pretty badass fucking planes. The A-1 Sky Raiders are going to be uh, uh, taking control of the skies for this mission, if you will. And by the way, side note. The most concerning part of searching for an A1 Sky Raider on Google, Dad, is that when you search it, the search bar automatically fills out for sale in my area. <laughs> so if you're looking for a A1 Sky Raider on uh, the Jersey Shore Craigslist, <laughs> I think uh, I think we're in some deep shit. But the men are going to train very diligently for this mission. By the way, the uh, as you said, Dad, CIA intelligence and then also uh, military intelligence, they combine, they build this mock setup for what they the, where they are going to land their training on this thing based off of uh, the, the topography uh, and then the surveillance photos. They're trying to recreate the thing so that they can operate almost perfectly, you know what I mean, for this mission. And by the way, the, uh, the little model that they made, they nicknamed the, the model Barbara. So it was uh, an interesting thing there. So you, you wonder if Barbara Eden was. Uh... <laughs> well, I, Barbara was actually a secretary uh, with the CIA uh, people who were building this model mock up. So they kind of nicknamed the model Barbara. Interesting. A little, it's a little tidbit of side note. <laughs> well, the men are training very diligently for the mission, but they're not exactly sure what the mission is or where it's going to be. Again, the promise is simple home for Christmas. But it's hazardous training, and uh, make out your will beforehand because there's no additional pay. I have a question for you, KP. Hit me for this for this training montage. What are you thinking in your head? Is it like Mulan? I'll make a man out of you, or is it kind of like Rocky, like training type of thing? (laughs) Like, what in your head is like 
the the ultimate training music for these guys. I'll tell you what, I got a good one for you. I think it's um, Jesus Walks, uh, fitting from the Jarhead trailer. Uh, from so Kanye West. So <laughs> th- this is the the boys are coming, man. Oh yeah. man, of these, this of, movie's gonna be great. <laughs> <laughs> of the hundred and three that uh, were selected from the army side, uh, there was only four who did not have previous combat experience. Good point. Uh, but Good point. Uh, those four had special <laughs> had a set of special skills that were <laughs> were going to be used on, oh, so on this mission. So that's where Liam Neeson served. Um, yeah, and at this particular point in time too, that uh, you know they're told that uh, this training, this mission that they're training for, is probably got about a fifty fifty survival rate. So they knew going in that there's going to be a, a shit storm, but they're still. They're still going in anyhow. It is um, now that there's a song that we'll play in later um, that I think is absolutely perfect because as a kid, I remember standing up and cheering in my living room anytime it came on. So I'll remind you of that in a second, Kuna, because I think you'll appreciate the reference. But <laughs> boots on the ground portion. All right. So our Raiders on the ground, the boys under Bull Simons, they are training constantly for this mission. Over 170 sessions and simulations, sometimes multiple times a day, they would run this mission. The air side of the house, where our boys were going to be flying the aircraft, they log in over uh, 10,050 flying hours are, are executed in One, preparation for this. So, yeah, over 1,000 hours are flown without incident. I mean, the training was unbelievable. A lot of firsts in this training as well. Like you said, it was over 170 rehearsals that they had on this, but 80% of those rehearsals are at night. So mm. they're flying Well, at the night raid is going to happen at because night. Because the raid is going to happen at night. Yeah. Uh, another little interesting tidbit that I found is that all these training rehearsals, all these training sessions that they had, they're training with live fire. Whoa. So when they're going in, the, the bullets are flying. Uh, so you better make sure you know where you're at and where, where your buddies are at and you're not, you're not walking into, uh, into the line of fire. When training in that type of situation, well, at least with live rounds how do you like how does that even work (laughs) very very carefully yeah no but i'm also like are they like in that situation are they just kind of fighting each other like they're like okay you guys are going to be the bad guys i i know it's kind of silly to ask but no it's not because this is similar to some stuff i did down at cape canaveral with um i can't exactly give away but um certain things we used to have uh, uh, BFAs and uh, we would shoot blanks at each other. Now, these guys using live fire, that's very interesting because that could just be targets. Um, now, one thing I do want to throw to you for real quick, Dad, before we jump into the windows of the mission and the, the politics behind it. All right. Uh, these fellers, um, they're going to be operating at night here. So what's going to be a way in order for them to have greater accuracy when attempting to fire? There's a reason you don't go hunting at night. Okay, when you go hunting for... Can't see uh, anything. Yeah. So <laughs> what are these boys going to do to try to mitigate that? Uh, yeah, well, there's, uh, you know, a lot of us now see the images of uh, the raid with Bin Laden and that kind of stuff. And these guys are flipping down the goggles in front of them and they have these night vision goggles. Well, at this particular point in time, we didn't have that technology. There were no night vision goggles. But in the early training sessions, they were finding that uh, shooting with live uh, live round trainings um, that their accuracy was not all that swift. Um, so, you know, what does Bull and the rest of the boys do? Does they they start reading some of these sporting magazines and they realize that there's a um, um, a scope, a laser scope that they can mount onto their army issue <laughs> weapons. So it's a mail order 
um, scope. That, and that was one of the things. These guys were given carte blanche, so they could go out and buy anything. The same type of thing that came to my mind was with Marchenko, that uh, he got, he got uh, you know, ousted because of that. But and this was an entirely different situation here, that they were buying whatever they needed for, for this mission. Um, and they went out and bought these uh, laser scopes. And it was the first time that a laser scope was ever used. The night vision goggles, well, they didn't have that yet. Um, but they did know that the Air Force was going, at the, at the time of the raid, that the Air Force was going to be uh, dropping um, uh, flares from high above so that they were going to light up the night sky, if you will, to give them some visual. But uh, if you're looking up into a white-hot phosphorus uh, flare, you're going you're gonna to be blinded by the intense white light. So <laughs> what, what did they do? Similar they, to a flashbang getting yeah, thrown into a room. Yeah, right, that uh, you're, you're going to be blinded for the next uh, couple of minutes until your eyes adjust to the, to the light again. Um, so they're issued... World War II ski goggles. And at, <laughs> what did they have? They had clear lenses or they had amber lenses. And they found that wearing the amber lenses were better because um, with that uh, phosphorus flare or whatever flares they were using, uh, you'd still have better vision at night wearing these amber-colored uh, glasses. I should have brought my, uh, uh, my, my shooting glasses, my, my orange aviators. Same, same, same kind of an idea. So, you know, we're, we're in uh, a 1970s war fighting with uh, World War II, 1945 at best uh, equipment. But yeah, you're dressed like Janis Joplin now. It's, with the, your... it's the best you got. <laughs> it's, the, it's the best you got. So well, we that's got, what you're going with. Which is awesome. Uh, now, there's two windows for the operation get, that get chosen. One window holds for the end of October, the other for the end of November. Yeah, now that window, that's important too because they knew they were going in at night and they – had to go in a dry season, so it's not going to be, you know, the monsoon uh, um, in Vietnam that uh, they're going to have to go foreshadowing, in. foreshadowing, a little flooding going on, perhaps. They, they had to go in either in October or in November, um, but more specifically when there was a quarter moon. So there was like a seven to ten day period in October and a seven to ten day period in November where they would have a quarter moon. So as they're flying in, because they're, they're flying in without lights and they're flying in without uh, radio communication. Again, this is as stealthy as you could possibly make it. But you still want to be able to see your other aircraft, who, who, your, who your buddies are and where they are. And that was a, a huge problem to be solved too for the air force because now your your lead in is with a c-130 that they have to fly so slow that they're virtually near their stall angle a stall um speed so they're flying in very slow with like 70 percent flaps and then uh if you guys want to repeat that you can i'll i'll edit that part out let me just write that down for you i'm so sorry you know what? We're going to roll with it, man. That's the beauty of Eatontown, New Jersey, there right? You go. That, uh, Things are happening here, here, too. It is what um, it is. But the helicopters that are following with the guys, they're going as fast as they possibly can, but they can't keep up with a C-130. So they're actually flying in the draft of the C-130 at a, at a – like they're flying in like a V formation. So it's and, Talladega Nights, shake and bake. So, <laughs> right. There you, there you go. And they have to uh, – at night without communication to one another, without uh, any kind of lights on. So again, they're flying stealthy and they have this quarter moon 
uh, illuminating the night sky so that they can at least visibly see one another um, and st stay in visible, visible contact with one another. So th those are the two windows here. Now, the problem is, is that they are about a month apart. So a lot can happen in a month. Uh, due to President Nixon not being available for an in-person briefing at this time, National Security Advisor and all around uh, uh, curiosity of a human being, Henry Kissinger, delays the mission until the November time frame. While the delay does allow for more training and the acquisition of more equipment, it would also, a little foreshadowing here for the listeners at home, doom the mission to what's considered somewhat failure. Cahoon is trying to figure out why we're talking about this on a show called American Loser. Well, how, how bad is the blunder? Little <laughs> foreshadowing here, a little foreshadowing. Yeah. And uh, interesting note, too, is that uh, Nixon gave the green light to this whole mission when it was first brought to him. But uh, one of the... Uh, one of the little tidbits is he wanted to have these prisoners of war freed and, and back home so that uh, they can celebrate Thanksgiving. So um, he's trying to make a little media uh, plug for himself because, you know, Nixon at this point is not a real popular guy with a lot of Americans. So imagine if, that, though, you, you finally get freed from the torture of a Vietnamese prison. And you get home just in time to watch the Detroit Lions on football. <laughs> <laughs> so your ground raiders are going to consist of three groups. This was what this is where the, the, the meat and potatoes of the story is here, guys. Um, we're taking our time with this one because we want to be accurate. All right. So uh, first team, if you want, I'm going to refer to them as teams, which is Blue Boy. All right. Blue Boy will intentionally crash land. That is right, folks. Intentionally crash land into the compound itself to further the element of surprise and cut down on NVA reaction times. Blue Boy will have 14 members. Then there's Team Greenleaf. Greenleaf will have 22 members. They will land properly and provide immediate support of Blue Boy. That's their mission. Greenleaf is supposed to support Blue Boy. That becomes huge. Finally, Team Red Wine, as in UB40, Red Red Wine Make You Feel So Fine, uh, would land with a team of 20 in order to protect the operation from outside interference from the NVA and ensure your outer perimeter. So you got three layers of here. You got the boys going in, boom, crash landing in. We're going in to get the prisoners. Support is going to be around us at all times for anything we missed on the way in. And then we're setting up the outside for anybody that's coming into our circle here. This is a tactical, brilliant move here. So, And the Raiders, by the way, are armed to the teeth. Many carried the commando-style CAR-15, which is kind of the modern M4. Uh, M16s are going to be carried by a couple of the guys, which is essentially the difference between an M4 and an M16, just for anybody who wants to know, is just um, the, the length of uh, – there's a, a collapsible stock on an M4. Otherwise, typically, they're uh, relatively the same length for the most part. Um, I've never got a chance to shoot an M16. I had an M4. Uh, now, M60s are also going to be brought in here. M60s, that is your uh, a man carrying a machine gun that it's belt-fed. That's your Rambo gun right there, okay? Uh, grenade launchers. Uh, so that's going to be pretty badass right there. You got boys carrying their own grenade launchers. Each man is also, multi most of them are carrying their own sidearms as well. They're also carrying multiple grenades, and they also have radios here. While the direct rolls... Uh, only have 28 planes directly involved with the mission. 28 planes and helicopters, I should say, are involved in the overall mission. Um, if for the, that's the direct support guys that are going to be involved that are considered a part of this whole task force. There's a larger uh, aircraft uh, ensemble at play, if you will, Dad, that is going to involve 116 aircrafts. Again, so now that's going to be 59 Navy planes, Navy aircraft, and 57 Air Force aircraft which is going to add, if you're paying attention at home, another branch to the fray, 
Okay, and the Marines still not allowed in due to, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but it's important to me to mention this part. Yeah, I think, too, that we before you hit that, um, I got to say that, you know, when you say crash land, they didn't, they intentionally crash landed that first helicopter, Blue Boy, right within the center of this compound because there was a guard tower that had to be taken out immediately. They had one minute in order to take out that guard tower because um, th there was a fear that, if they landed outside the compound and then tried to enter the compound, that the guards would then immediately kill all the prisoners. Um, so they had to mm -hmm. crash land that thing, capture this one guard tower that would have been in the line of fire and possibly uh, injure the, the, the POWs that are in there. So um, the idea, they knew, they knew right from the get-go that they were going to crash land that first helicopter, and they had backup helicopters to take them out once uh, the mission was uh, complete. Now, wait, was it like someone like there was actually a bunch of people in that one helicopter that crashed? Or yes. was it like, they it's a, structure, like crash, a, right? a strategic yeah. crash? It's, okay. a, it's what they call a hard landing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's important to realize that these guys were willing to crash land their first helicopter just so that the, the time factor. Again, they had one minute in order to capture this guard tower and overcome the rest of the guards uh, in the compound before the guards had the opportunity to kill all the prisoners. Now, in the the reason we're mentioning all these additional aircraft is because, as you mentioned to me in our uh, in our little meeting beforehand here, Dad, the one of the largest, I believe, the largest bombing campaign of the entire Vietnam War is about to take place in order to distract the Vietnamese from what's going on here. Uh, as as we're not going to pay attention to this little tiny party of guys going in here when the entire country is pretty much being bombed all at once. Yeah, that's uh, they had a diversion and it was quite the diversion because they land, they flew aircraft off of uh, three different Navy uh, carriers and uh, I think seven other Air Force bases. So they're going all around Hanoi. The whole sky is being lit up by this diversion, if you will, so that the North Vietnamese um, air traffic control <laughs> is a little busy with uh, what's going on all around them. And another layer that we really didn't mention here is that these guys who are leading this mission are flying actually out of Thailand and they have to refuel the helicopter. They have to refuel underway because I believe it was like a two and a half or three and a half hour flight just to get to this POW camp in North Vietnam. So now they're refueling in air without lights and without, you know, communication back and forth. Which so, is impressive to see no matter what. Yeah, by the, by the light of the quarter moon. Um, Picture them going shit. in like when um, uh, Bill Paxton and, uh, and the Colonial Marines are going into uh, Aliens here, just for the reference point. I, we, it's, we're in a pop culture reference. Mm -hmm. we, uh, we have to <laughs> so, um, the mission is a go. The time has arrived. Try not to let your blood run wild with Hulkamania when you hear this next part. Five hours before takeoff, Bull Simons addresses his men. All right, these guys still don't know exactly what their mission is, but they know it's go time, right? And here's the quote from Bull Simons. How the hell does that work? How do, you, how do you have a mission that's a go time but still don't technically know what's about to happen? Well, you know what you well, have yeah. to do. You don't know why you're doing it. Because they were told they're in Florida at Eglin. They're told, pack your shit because we're going. So get on board and they're flying. They don't know where the frig they're going. The, they, the next thing they know, they are now landing in Thailand. Welcome. But do they know they're rescuing POWs? No, they do not, not know that. Wow. They don't know that. So yet. it's kind of like you know that you're coming in here to record a 
podcast for us, but you don't know the topic usually until we start talking. Uh, so this is Bull Simon. <laughs> this is Bull Simon's revealing the topic. You okay. ready? This is pretty goddamn good quote. Uh, we're going to rescue 70 POWs from a camp called Santai. This is something American prisoners have a right to expect from your fellow soldiers. The camp is located 23 miles west of Hanoi. It is said that the troops uh, for were quiet for a couple of minutes, and then essentially they just go, "Oh fuck yeah!" <laughs> <laughs> you know why? Because these are these are potentially your brothers in arms here that you're going to go out there. there. There's people who um, there is one member of the crew who has a cousin that's a POW. Now you're getting excited. Now you're like, "Dude, we're, we, this is we're getting our boys back." All right. I feel Son. like you're really hyping this up because I feel like something really really bad is about to happen. <laughs> There's, the show's called American Loser for a reason. I, but, uh, I know, but it's going to hurt. <laughs> well, Simons puts a, a very interesting final instruction together for the boys. Another exact quote here. You are to let nothing, nothing interfere with the operation. We're here to rescue prisoners, not take prisoners. What does that mean? If they ain't ours, we're dropping them. All right. Kick ass, chew bubblegum. We, yes. bubble, we didn't bring bubblegum. <laughs> That's right. If we walk into a trap, don't dream about walking out of Vietnam unless you got wings on your feet. It is 100 miles to Laos. I want to keep this force together. We will be back up the Song Khan River and by Christ, which is hilarious because he's a Jewish guy. <laughs> by Christ, let them come across the goddamn open ground. We'll make them pay for every foot across this son of a bitch. So the boys are, I mean, you pretty much. Here's the song. You ready? This is the song I mentioned earlier. Saving the day from Ghostbusters. Yeah, I was just going to guess it too. <laughs> do, do. What do you need from me? The assault force lands at uh, 0219, a.k.a. 219 in the morning, a.k.a. last call, even if you're friends with the bartender. All right. So our boys are about to go in here. The helicopter that was intended to crash land had thought the trees in the area to be about 40 feet tall based off of models that were drawn up on the aforementioned Barbara um, map and plan. They were a little taller. Yeah. Uh, uh, so they were trained upon by the intel. They're significantly taller. I think it's about 150 feet. What? Um, which is not a big deal, actually. That's not a deal breaker here. Um, but if you ever wanted to see a combat helicopter get used as a wood chipper, this was your chance. <laughs> Literally just coming up, just chopping these trees down here. One of the few casualties of the entire mission is actually suffered around this time frame when a fire extinguisher, no, I'm not even kidding here, a fire extinguisher falls onto one of the copters, uh, the flight engineer's ankles. And uh, it, it uh, one report was a sprained ankle. One report was a broken ankle. So I couldn't confirm on either one. A hurt ankle. But so yeah. wait, that was the, that, the only casualty was a busted ankle? Pretty in, much one of the, the only casualties, right? So, was an ankle. Yes. <laughs> now, these heavily armed raiders are on the ground now. And uh, a message is broadcast uh, via Bullhorn, not by Bull Simons, but uh, you know by uh, another. Because keep in mind, remember the groups that are, are landing, and it's it's three teams that are landing here. One more question for you. I'm so I'm so sorry. No, so, hit me, dude. Are, are there like do we know who carried out this mission, or is that kind of lost to time? No, uh, no, no they are got... all honored, and this is considered one of the. Uh, uh, there's a lot of awards that are going to be coming down the chain. Because chances. I was going to say, like, for of everyone, I would like to like talk to about what went down in this thing. I want to talk to the mad bastard who was like, "Yeah, I'll fly the helicopter that's going <laughs> to crash into the plane that's going to crash into the into the tower." There's wanna... some cool uh, some cool lectures can be found on YouTube, and I believe there's actually a couple of video games made off of this uh, this very same mission. <laughs> no way. Yeah, man. It's uh, <laughs> well, once you hear about this, it, this it gets is a level even crazier. Fortnite, I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, over the bullhorn, uh, the first team that lands, which uh, is Blue Boy, they announce 
We're Americans. Keep your head down. We will be in your cell in minutes. We are Americans. Keep your head down. We will be in your cells in minutes. The guards of the facility get taken down quickly and effectively. The Green Berets do not fuck around, okay? Even those that are attempting to escape are getting shut down because there's no chance we're going to let you go warn the NVA of anything that's going on here. Bull Simon's men heard the, the message that he had issued earlier loud and clear. Drop anything that isn't American. So Team Blue Boy begins methodically moving throughout the encampment in search of their comrades in arms. The support group, okay, the boys of Team Greenleaf, accidentally, because they're flying at night and not really sure of what's going on on the ground over here, it's not a, a traditional flight, it's stealth on stealth on stealth, they accidentally land about 400 meters off course at a different place, which is known as the secondary school. Okay, so this is a different compound. And uh, unfortunately, Dad, uh, that secondary school is full of some people. Yeah, it's full of uh, bad guys. And uh, while they're, I mean, they land and they go after this um, this second compound, not knowing that they're in the wrong place. But it happens to be a uh, like an officer's school, an officer's training school. And um, it's later found out that it's probably full of 100 to 200 Chinese uh, soldiers who were there as uh, tr training officials or technical advisees to the North Vietnamese Army. Which, again, with censorship, Wikipedia goes, they just go, oh, hostile uh, forces were found over yeah, there. Hostile Anywhere else you read, they're like, yeah, Chinese military was in town running shit. Cause, but the Chinese were never involved in Vietnam. Yeah. So. Um, but... Uh, there was uh, 100 to 200 hostile soldiers estimated, and there was 100 to 200 um, casualties <laughs> estimated. Right, estimated kills. So during an intense firefight, the boys at Greenleaf are definitely seeing some shit, man. They, they wind up, the Raiders take these boys out while suffering no casualties themselves, by the way. Very cool. Right. Um, Team Redwine lands properly using their helicopter miniguns to drop trees and guard towers. Uh, any NVA attempting to react to the Raiders were quickly dispatched. Okay, so Team Redwine is at least in the right spot over here. Now, the boys of uh, Greenleaf, they wind up getting um, essentially after their firefight. And, and this is the craziest part. I'm going to reveal the minutes on this thing in a second. Uh, this podcast is longer than the mission. Yeah. All right. That's pretty nuts to say. But uh, one story, by the way, that I thought was worth mentioning, this came out of uh, one of the Soldier of Fortune uh, essays that I read about this, uh, is that an NVA soldier roused from his sleep, because keep in mind the, uh, the attack is happening in the middle of the night, uh, this NVA soldier is uh, confused and then jumps into a trench during a gunfight and happens to find himself next to Bull Simons. <laughs> so imagine turning and looking and seeing the face of Bull Simons as Bull Simons reaches in, pulls out his 357 revolver, and just dirty harries the fuck out of you. Good All morning. Right? Yeah. It's <laughs> but uh, so he drops that guy right there. You may be asking yourself, though, Kahuna, as you've been asking the entire episode, my friend, if we're kicking so much ass in this mission and the NVA are so completely caught off guard, how is this on a show called American Loser? So... Soon, now after all three teams have been in some sort of a successful firefight here and we're suffering no casualties, the mission's going pretty much. There's a couple things that could have gone very wrong but have not. Luck's been on our side here for a couple of things, and the planning is working for the most part. The communications that nobody wants to hear are soon echoed over the radio. Team Blue Boy announces negative items. Negative items means that after now Team Blue Boy has thoroughly searched the prison. Oh, no. They are unable to find any of the prisoners of war that they came to rescue. The mission was an absolute tactical success, but is considered a tangible failure because you are not bringing home any of the boys. 
All right. The Nobody was there. The objective was not complete. Extraction is called for, and the entire raid, by the way, takes place in under a half hour. 27 minutes. 27 they, minutes. They trained for, it had to happen within 30 minutes uh, throughout their training. Yeah, otherwise the pizza was half off. Right? <laughs> they pulled it. <laughs> they pulled it off in 27 minutes. How, wow. Now, even even with uh, the one crew going off to the, uh, to the other mission, they were then picked up by one of the uh, other helicopters and, and moved to the right place. And then the extraction took place from there. Pilots got balls of steel. The Raiders got balls of steel. The entire mission is, is absolutely a tactical success. You could not have planned this thing any better. The problem is, remember earlier that I mentioned that Henry Kissinger wanted to go with the November time frame instead of the October one? Well, apparently due to some flooding issues and lack of uh, updated intelligence, the prisoners had been moved to a different camp. So they were about 15 miles away in a different direction. So um, it's pretty nuts here. Now, by the way, the extraction gets a little interesting for them because while they had a relatively quiet entry into the country, on their way out, the yeah, choppers- Due to the diversion that was going oh, on. Oh, yeah, the mass bombing from the <laughs> Navy planes, planes and the Air Force planes. Right. Uh, they're not exactly getting that same cover of darkness on the way out. So the extraction gets a little bit choppy, if you will, because the helicopters are now forced to dodge anti-aircraft fire and SAM missiles. All right. So there's a couple of times when some of the guys are, uh, uh, you know, all of a sudden, hey, why are we vertical? Uh, hey, <laughs> now we're horizontal. Hey, what's up? Oh, because we're and dodging. And we didn't soon. lose anyone. Uh, no, there's one casualty of the ankle, and then there's a casualty of a guy who I believe was shot in the leg, um, but non-fatal. So, um, this I'm talking about just dying. No one died. Like none no, of our no, boys sir. died. We did not lose a single. That's why it's considered a, a tactical brilliance in terms of its success, right? But here's the, the this is my favorite little part of the story. I found this. I couldn't confirm it, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, it came out of just the one source. I like to try to have two sources to confirm everything, but this is just too cool to not, uh, even if this turns into propaganda, Dad, this is pretty good goddamn propaganda. Yeah, right. There was a master sergeant from the Green Berets who was part of one of the, the teams that was on the ground uh, with the Raiders. And uh, he realized, well, we're not getting away with any of the, uh, our boys. We're not coming out with any of the POWs. So let's make sure we leave a calling card to let them know that the boys of the Green Berets stopped by. So he takes a Special Forces Green Beret with uh, you know insignias and everything and nails it to a post so that when the NVA eventually comes by to take a look at it to say, who just burnt, who scorched this patch of earth of ours? Who just fucked up uh, this facility of ours beyond recognition, dropped uh, you know about 100 to 200 Chinese soldiers and officers a, a, little, a couple of meters away and who completely fucked up this prison camp? You let them know. It's like the Joker leaving his card at the scene of the crime. It's the Green Berets were here, motherfucker, and it was us, and we can do it again. All right? So that was pretty goddamn cool. Um, well, tell him, tell him how, the, how he left. What was the calling card that he left? His Green Beret. The, yeah. He, the, the, he, they left. He, he nailed the Green Beret uh, to a post or something, mm -hmm. right? That, uh, to let them know. Make sure you're aware of this. So now it would seem like you said, uh, you know, like we mentioned earlier, that Kissinger's delay is uh, what kind of screwed things up here, that due to some flooding issues, the prisoners had been moved. So because of that, the raid gets lauded by the press, of course, because the press is, oh, they're, they're very fair press. You know what I mean? They, they don't, they're not going to talk to the Joint Chiefs. They're not going to talk to the guys. And well, like, oh, look at this Nixon character. Can't even free a couple of prisoners. Yeah, well, that was, that was the thing. The media was kind of whatever they could do to put down... Uh, uh, Dick Nixon. Well, they don't have a bend. They're completely no, no, objective. It's, it's straight now right down the center line. <laughs> I can't believe I've never heard of this. 
Well, it gets pretty cool because this becomes actually uh, so the the press is mocking them endlessly. Anyone who is anti Nixon is using this as more fodder of like this guy can't even get people out of here. And it's showcasing more of his mishandling of the war. As we mentioned earlier, uh, the American people have only just recently learned that Nixon's even operating in another country called Cambodia. Turns out, though, the mission, while unable to acquire POWs in its first run, had several major effects. Number one. It's first of all, it's a successful mission. The boys aren't hurt and we, we didn't lose anybody and tactically everything worked out perfectly. Because of that, the blueprint has now been laid for future successful raids. This is the, the genesis of it all. That's that picture, by the way. Kuna just pulled it up here. Look at the ski goggles on top of some of those guys' helmets. That's literally something you can go buy in an Army Navy store right now. Wow. So, um, <laughs> no way. Yeah. That is uh, the uh, where they crash landed over there on purpose. The, the photos are absolutely mind blowing on this thing. I'll put as many of them up on the Instagram as I can. Uh, but like we said, here's the other things that are uh, going involved here. POW conditions in thought. You asked this way earlier in the show, Kahuna. Isn't this endangering the other prisoners that are being kept because now they're either going to get treated uh, more harshly or maybe even just be killed because they don't want the U.S. Now you've actually scared the shit out of the NVA enough because they're like, Whoa. All right. Uh, not only did this happen and we completely got our asses kicked, this happened close to home. Right. This right? happened out just outside our capital. And these guys are flying a secret mission. And I mean, what's next? I mean, what else are these guys going to be capable of doing on on the secret? Um, so what they started to do then is to take a lot of these outlying smaller prisoners, uh, prisoner of war camps and bringing them in close to the fold. And it was a, a a huge influx of prisoners now into the Hanoi Hilton, um, where um, things started to get a little bit better. First off, now you started having more guys in together. A lot of the solitary confinement kind of things were taken away. So at least now you're with other Americans and you're not all by your lonesome kind of a thing. And um, just a whole different feeling. And a, a, a morale booster of the prisoners themselves that, hey, somebody gives a shit, you know, that finally now somebody has at least kind of come in and, and rescue us. And the North Vietnamese are like, holy shit, these guys pulled this off the without Green Berets right under, coming, uh, under our nose. Yeah. The Green Beret, Berets were definitely some scary ass, uh, scary ass guys to, uh, to the enemy. And I found out about this story from a Green Beret, which uh, is why we wanted to cover it on the show here. So uh, as we're wrapping up here, uh, I do want to throw to Kahuna for a good casting couch on this. Uh, LP, I do want to ask you if you have anything else, too. But I also want to mention one other thing that, uh, again, the, the morale of the POWs is now boosted significantly because no one's forgotten about us over here. And all of a sudden, the NVA, because they're scared shitless and because they're like, oh, that we really do look bad here on this one. This is a little uh, diplomatic uh, uh, egg on our face. Um, at the Paris Peace Accords, all of a sudden they start making uh, uh, and try to save face, if you will. They start saying, oh, well, by the way, here's a list of the people that we have in here. Here's name, rank, serial numbers of uh, you know, we're, we're taking good care of them. Uh, they're all at this uh, Hanoi Hilton and we're allowing the Americans to congregate together. The morale boost of going from isolation, being an almost deer hunter like um, for those who get that reference, um, deer hunter like uh, uh, conditions of, of you know the infamous scene of them being forced to play Russian roulette against each other. Probably not too much of an exaggeration from some of the conditions they were in the, the, the outlying camps to now then being brought all together. It's like, holy shit, I can't believe this guy's still alive. Oh my God, this guy's from my hometown over here. Uh, we're talking to this guy, it was in my unit at least. And now you're able to talk a little bit and conditions are gonna start to improve. And that's gonna take a long time before we start to get everybody over there. But this mission also opens up the diplomatic relations. So 
Tactical success here does not bring the boys home, but lays the groundwork for future raids in which we're going to be able to get our boys home. Uh, then also opens up the diplomatic chains in order to start effectively getting our boys uh, back. over. It, it winds up being, and this is the th crazy thing about Nixon. While Nixon was in office, you couldn't find many people that were willing to say a good thing out loud about him. Then upon, rec again, we always say it on the show here, it takes about 30 years after a president is out of office before you can start really dissecting, well, what worked and what didn't? Because now the emotion is removed over here. So this is actually a win for Nixon in a lot of ways on this one. So, um, and yeah, again, this, this raid was the basis of a lot of future raids. I mean, the Israelis copied this with their raid on Antibi. Um, a lot of the people that were involved with this particular raid were also involved with the planning for the uh, Iran uh, hostage crisis that that had some difficulties <laughs> in uh, some landings. But, uh, um, you know, a lot of the basis on more successful missions. And uh, this wasn't the first time that um, United States did whatever they could to go in and, and release or rescue their uh, POWs. But um, no man left behind. You are not forgotten. It's super important. It's extremely important to me on that one here. Anything else you have on your way out before we throw to Kahuna for the casting couch? I just got to throw in one guy that was involved with this mission. Um, you mentioned earlier that uh, Bull Simons was involved with the rescue of uh, some of the POWs during the Second World War. The uh, Bataan Death March? The, yeah, the Bataan Death March survivors who yeah. were then put into a prisoner of war camp in the Philippines. And uh, Bull Simons was involved with, with their rescue. There was another guy that was with him at the same time, a guy by the name of, uh, well, his nickname was Pappy, Pappy Kittleson. Um, Pappy was uh, the youngest member of that rescue mission in the Philippines <clears throat> for the um, Batan Death March survivors. But he also happened to be the oldest um, member of the rescue team on this whole Ivory Coast thing. Um, he was, I believe, 56 years old, a sergeant, 56-year-old sergeant, boots on the ground going in to rescue the prisoners of war Jesus. at Sentai. So, uh, okay. He's absolutely uh, a badass. He started out as a, an Alamo scout, which was the precursor to the to the Green Beret. Well, it's uh, I mean, it's full of American Special Forces is full of a lot of people that you can very easily be proud of, and, and thank God they're on our side. That's really kind of how I look at it. But uh, as a veteran, I'm very proud of this story uh, in particular here. And again, the story was taken off of uh, a Green Beret's Instagram. That's how I found out this thing fucking even existed. So pretty cool on that. Um, so real quick, also want to uh, offer up a, quick, a couple of quick shout outs if I can. One former guest of the show, Lynette Palladino, is a, a friend of mine, uh, also a National Army National Guard member who's deployed overseas multiple times. Uh, very funny chick. Uh, very good guest on the podcast, too, by the way. She's actually uh, the finalist for, I believe it's the uh, Latino HBO uh, Comedy Awards or something like that, where she is going to be featured on television, I believe, cool. uh, on That's HBO. Awesome. Yeah, it's HBO Latina. Yeah, so I mean, I will understand what it is, but I will cha 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 no, uh, with man. her. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, another one, a friend of mine, actually, Cisco Duran's in the same finals with her that I, I met uh, while I was working down in Florida. So very excited for the two of them on that one. Um, of course, also, I want to plug another podcast if I can. Just uh, some good people out there. Um, of course, you guys know that I got a lot of uh, I'm very lucky to have good friends in comedy. Um, if you can check out, uh, there's a show called Irish Goodbye with uh, my friend Mike Cannon, who came on and talked to us about MK Ultra, and Mike Feeney, who I think has gotten to Hollywood for us now, Dad. I don't think we're getting him. <laughs> no. But 
No, I'm teasing. But those two guys have a great show over there. Please check them out. Uh, podcasts are an important thing right now, guys, because it's how a lot of the comedians in this second potential shutdown or the lack thereof returning uh, live comedy work, especially with the inclement weather on the East Coast, the podcasts are how the comics are making their money. So I want to support those guys if you can. Also, my buddy uh, Pete uh, Stegmeyer, who was a great guest on the show, he came on for the Jesse James episode. He has a really cool podcast called I Can Steal That, which we did a crossover episode of. Uh, and Pete just does great work. He's definitely he's a guy where I'm almost like, are we doppelgangers for each other in terms of like we we sometimes have a similar mind on some stuff to the point where it gets a little bit creepy. But check out those uh, those shows if you can over there. Uh, and then, of course, uh, hook up. Uh, go check out uh, our boy. Uh, you know what, Dad? I'm going to say it. Let's get in the Christmas spirit. Support local musician, independent filmmaker, all around handsome boy, sex icon of the 2020s, Christian Cordez. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know him as the Kahuna, but please support his album. Check him out over there, man. I, Thank I want you, nothing man. but success on that. I want limited success, though, because I heard you're trying to move to California, and that ain't fucking happening. <laughs> well, to be honest, the that move is like, as I said when you were watching that, it's like I want to at least establish some sort of business out there because I've come to realize that Jersey's my home. I love this state. Even though I'll talk shit about it up and down, <laughs> right. left and right, I I love it here. I don't I like I don't mind the cold all that much even though as anyone will say on certain days you fucking hate it. <laughs> but like it's it's just where I've well we've had got my no roots. weirdly no Jersey connection this week which I I was Really? Yeah, we yeah, couldn't find nothing one. Fort Monmouth. I tried. I kept checking uh, at, at for birthplaces of some of the generals. I kept checking for all sorts of stuff on this one. But I do want to say this uh Cahoons. I want you to take us home here, buddy. You got a casting couch. I do. I, I got a feeling it's Bull Simons. Who's playing Bull Simons in the movie about the Sun Tai Raiders? I'm gonna just cut to the chase. I'm casting uh, Kevin Cosner as really? Bull, as Bull Simon because he's uh, the way that I've got this energy for this movie version of it. I need someone that's able to bring that calmness, but could easily in a minute fucking snap into action. And I feel like Kevin Cosner could easily pull that off. As far as also bringing some awesome dramatic acting chops. My runner-up also choice was Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang's a good one here. Um, now, so Costner nowadays could probably play this role. This isn't like 80s, 90s heartthrob Kevin No, Costner, no, right? no. Uh, this this is, is like, this is uh, this is Man of Steel era Kevin Costner too, which is something I never thought I would still say, but still. I was going to get the guy from, um, the uh, who played uh, the original lead on Dragnet, Dad? Dragnet. Joe Friday, who, who um, didn't yeah, uh, um, didn't he, he didn't move his arms when he walked. Yeah, but that was a, that's kind of the, the the kind of dude that Bull Simons is. But Dragnet. it's definitely uh, there's a lot of good the people old in this show one. or the oh, yeah. Yeah. old TV yeah, show. So starring Jack Webb, I think uh, would be I the guy. I, there. Yeah. Oh wow. So Jack yep. Webb would be because he he looks like him too. They have it's the guy just has a face carved out of granite where it's you do not. This is a, a Jewish fella you don't want to mess with. Okay? <laughs> See, you know what's crazy though? Like if they were to make a movie about this, I wouldn't want them to do it now. Like I feel like the prime era for a movie like this to be made and done was the the mid seventies to early eighties. Because I feel I like you agree. could. Because like yeah, there's a certain level of action you expect in movies like that now. But back then, it would have been a bit nuttier. I like, you know what I mean? Like, they would have went a little crazier with it. We would have seen Schwarzenegger in there for some reason, maybe Bruce Willis. But yeah, uh, they did actually try to make this movie in the '80s, but instead of uh, uh, Prisoner Camp, it was just they made Predator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, also um, 
Stallone had that whole prisoner of war um, rescue thing too, didn't he? Well, uh, Chuck Norris did two missing in action movies where he was freeing prisoners of the Vietnam War. I believe maybe uh, Stallone had something with Rambo where he was going after some guys that were being right. kept. And then there's that hilarious line in Hot Shots Part Due when they're going to go in to rescue the uh, um, the troops. And uh, they're, you know Charlie Sheen's putting together his crack team, definitely a spoof of all the movies of the era. And they, uh, as the, the torturers are about to sit there and torture the guy, the pilot, the American pilot goes, there's nothing you can do to me. I've been married <laughs> twice. <laughs> <laughs> but guys, uh, if you love the show, man, we love doing it for you. This one went long, but you know what? We had a good time doing it. It was good to have the Kuna back in here. Uh, it was good to distract my father from the fact that part of his jaw got removed surgically the other day. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's just a good day. It's a good day to be here um, doing this thing. I want to have as many great episodes in studio as we can before I head down to Florida. The quality of the show will not dip down, though. I refuse to let that happen. We're going to make some stuff happen here, guys. Ming's working as an evil magic force. The Kahuna is still going to be involved. Me and my dad are going to be able to talk. Uh, we got all sorts of good stuff set up and coming for you. The Patreon. I promise you guys. So the episode for November, Patreon was going to be the War of 1812. We got involved. I don't mind writing a podcast, guys. I can't write a book. All right. <laughs> so we wrote the first half of that one. Uh, this month, we, we actually do have a date in mind already to come in and record. We will have the uh, the second part of 1812 will be available uh, for December. And that will not be your only Patreon exclusive episode here. There's going to be another one that's going to come out on a little raid that went down, a similar raid from a different time period that's very, very important and is getting remembered uh, quite fondly here. So we'll leave, uh, we'll leave you guys on that one. Go ahead and do me a favor. Join us over on the Patreon if you want. Just five bucks a month, the cost of one large cup of uh, one large cold brew over at Dunkin' Donuts, which I proved on my way down here. Absolutely, right? yeah. four seventy-seven. You bastards! Right. <laughs> you know how much podcast I can get for this instead? <laughs> but and they don't uh, double it down with ice. But all of that being said, guys, the Patreon is what keeps the weekly show free. I want to keep doing this thing as much as possible. All right, the founding losers, you guys are extremely important to us. If I do not have your address already, make sure you get that to me before Christmas when I leave. I need to have all these things mailed out so you guys can get your merch. All right. It means a lot to us, the support we get over there. If you guys cannot donate uh, or you don't want to be a member of the Patreon, I totally understand that. Leaving us a written review, a positive written review, and then maybe saying something specific about the show, not just like, great job, guys, or whatever. Say something you like about the show, make a comment, whatever. We get so many awesome reviews, and that's really what makes it uh, pop, if you will, in the comment section. And that way we can also downplay, again, that cheap fuck who decided that because we didn't write a book for him about Dick Marcinko, he had to give us three stars. Maybe <laughs> three stars was okay. He could have been way worse to us. I'll be fair to that guy. I'm this one but way to, way to patronize the patrons the yeah. <laughs> we also got a couple of one star reviews which i'm convinced is a girl i didn't call back um so <laughs> but all that being said that was the kahuna behind the ones and twos this was a shared universe podcast studio in eatontown new jersey mike and ming took great care of us as always my dilf of a dad larry anything to say on the uh, way out we're out we're out Guys, my name was KP Burke. Uh, feel free to check the show out at American Loser Podcast over on Instagram. And, of course, guys, that was Operation Ivory Coast, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. <laughs>